Hello, listeners. Before diving into today's episode, I wanted to share a few ways you can go deeper with the ideas I talk about in this podcast and support my work. The first is my book, The Pathless Path, which many of you have probably already heard about, but if you haven't purchased it already, I really think you'll love it. The second is The Pathless Path Community, which I just opened up as a one-time pay-what-feels-right access fee. And in that group, you can meet hundreds of other people from around the world on unconventional paths like me. Finally, I'm working on a second book tentatively called Good Work, which is going to explore my deeper relationship with work and how that led to a lot of the transformations in my life. You can follow along in my newsletter, Pathless, which you can also find a link to that in the show notes if you want to learn more about that. Without further ado, let's dive into the show. Welcome to the Boundless Podcast. I'm Paul Millard, and I created this podcast because I'm passionate about making sense of the future of work and having conversations with the innovators, creators, and thought leaders who are carving their path in today's fast-changing world. You can check out the podcast and more on BoundlessPod.com. Today's pod is with Damian Peters, who is a friend and a former classmate of mine from MIT. In the past couple of years, he's come to the conclusion that he wanted to carve a different path. And he's carving a path that involves building a business around a blogging platform, Wealth Noir, which he talks about and also potentially some work as a product manager on the side. He is also taking the leap to moving to Spain in a few months just to design and build a different lifestyle for himself. If you enjoy the pod, I'd appreciate if you'd share it, uh, leave a review on iTunes, or send me some comments or feedback. If you want to support more, you can do so on Patreon, and you can do so for as little as a dollar a month. And thanks again for the support. Enjoy the pod today, guys. Have a good day. Damien, excited to talk to you today. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, it's really great to you know connect again, Paul. Yeah. So, Damien, we were classmates. I've known you for a while in uh, since grad school, uh, almost eight years ago. Yep. Wow. Um, getting, I know. Uh, getting older. Uh, but you're the founder of Wealth Noir, which is a platform to preach and teach about the importance of financial freedom and generational wealth to black millennial professionals. So we'll definitely dive into that. Really curious about um, how that emerged. And you're a self-described finance nerd. Uh, but what I thought was cool is your biggest uh, accomplishment, you say, is being a father. Um, and definitely we'll uh, dive into that as well. But really just want to start with a pretty simple question here and talk about writing, which is, plays a big role in your life. Um, when did you first start writing? Yeah, it's... Um... <laughs> I was explaining to someone kind of the history in terms of my blogging, and um, it started back in undergrad, so around 2004, I think, um, and it was insane just to think it's been that long. Uh, I won't say the name of it because it's still up there, but I had a blog, um, and I typically talked a lot about dating actually back at the time. So as I every time I'll go back and read, it's always funny to read my writings of um, 20 year old Damien. But yeah, it's been since around 2014. Uh, sorry, 2004. I've been writing. Yeah, I go back and read some of my stuff. I've been uh, randomly writing and blogging. And it's like, it's cringing to uh, I <laughs> yeah. just cringe looking back at my old stuff. But um, that's the fun part of writing, too, because you're always improving. Yeah, no, and even friends to have said like, your way i have one really close friend who's actually a journalist and who's been we've been tight since undergrad um and she's like yeah you're significantly better now <laughs> well that's good i'd uh i'd hope so so over the last several years you've been working in product management working in the tech scene and um out there in silicon valley what has that experience been like and uh, how have you been thinking about work I've, def- I've been out here now for going on five years, uh, ever since after grad school, and have had a great had the great opportunity to work at a couple great companies. Um, starting out at Zynga, uh, going to Tinyco, 
a smaller gaming company, doing a little bit of independent, and then going to Facebook for three and a half years. And it's been a it's definitely been an interesting experience. So I really have enjoyed work as a product manager. I've really loved tech. I'm very nerdy and geeky. Uh, one thing I didn't realize was kind of growing up in DC my entire life that life in the Bay Area and tech and both how, you know, the company cultures, how people interact with each other, how offices are set up, how teams are structured is was drastically different than uh, my previous life as a government consulting. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, the, I'd imagine. Yeah, the um, the I, I think one of the big things that stood out to me with most of the companies was um, do it do it now, do it quick, and then hopefully it will work out. Oh, by the way, maybe check in with someone or let them know. Um, versus, you know, before, any large thing that I wanted to do, any real initiative needed to kind of get some approval or be justified, uh, where now I find a lot of the work style here has been, uh, if it works, it's obviously was justified. If it didn't work, we'll learn from it and still be justified, um, which has been very different. So when did you start writing about personal finance and how did that play a role in your life? Yeah, personal finance started um, uh, maybe two or three years ago. Uh, it was actually while I was at Facebook. Um, so before my the gaming company I was at in uh, around 20, 2012, I actually was laid off. Um, happens you know in the Valley. Right. Uh, rounds and yeah, financing. Uh, but it gave me a really different um outlook when it came to financial freedom, financial independence, and really thinking about my own personal finances. Uh, I kind of had this awakening that the idea of having a regular salary that someone else was going to pay me is not a guaranteed thing. It's something that you work for. It may happen. It may not happen. And, you know, are, am I building and preparing myself um, to have that flexibility to either take an extended period of time off if I want to um, change jobs or careers because of, you know, to follow my passions um, versus following a paycheck. And it was a few years in um, where I started to really invest way more time into my personal finances. And then I started writing originally on my personal blog, uh, DamianPeters.com. And I would talk about what I was doing in real estate, um, some basic stuff around budgeting. And part of it was seeing, you know, I kind of wanted feedback on my thoughts. You know, I wanted to put it out there to see if it was wrong or bad or good. And um, also to help others who right. I started to realize didn't have that level of dedication. Yeah, awesome. So who who are some of the people you started connecting with through the writing? Yeah, so initially it was people on my team. Um, so one small thing I realized was a lot of the engineers on my team kept coming to me asking about small things like travel hacking or, hey, I hear you buy rental properties. Um, from there, it kind of grew to more my social, uh, more of my social circle, primarily friends on Facebook, other colleagues, things like that. Um, and then now with Wealth Noir upon that launch, it really has helped me connect with a lot of people who, you know, I've never met before. Um, either they've found the site, they, a friend recommended me to them, um, but they've been writing in and really getting to experience and understand the different and varied financial situations people are in. Um, obviously talking to a bunch of people who work in the Bay Area at tech companies is a bit homogenous. Um, everyone is typically, what should I do with all this money? Uh, which isn't which isn't the case domestically right. or globally. I find finance is fascinating because it, it's almost, especially in the U.S., it's such a sensitive topic for some people. It's, it's yes. almost more taboo to talk about than uh, other things you would think are uh, uncomfortable to talk about. But have you experienced any of that and just kind of being like a release for people to talk to you? It has. Um, I've definitely experienced it. Uh, to be honest, one reason I started Wealth Noir was because I realized um, how, one, because it's taboo. A lot of people don't talk about it. They don't know what they don't know. Uh, and when I would have casual conversations with friends, they were shocked uh, oftentimes, or I, I was shocked at how varied um, both our kind of like net worth or our general thinking about finances were. Right. Uh, yeah, in particular, there was when I was looking to leave Facebook, um, I told several people, you know, like, hey, I'm thinking about taking some time off, be maybe take a year off, be with my son. And people were shocked that <laughs> you could do this. 
Wow. Like, That's kind of crazy, too, because right? I imagine a lot of these colleagues actually have the uh, savings to do so. That is the shocking part. So one, some of them do, some of them don't. I have also realized that spending, right, and the right. what it, the role it plays in, in saving. Um, but yeah, uh, even the idea was unfathomable by people who I knew were well better compensated than I. How have you been thinking about just connecting uh, with the black millennial population? How has that resonated uh, with that audience? Yeah, it's been great, um, partially because I am that population. But, uh, you know, it, there's obviously like starting out with just friend and family and close uh, uh, people there. But, yeah, through the site, it really has been great to have. I respond to any email that's sent to me. Um, awesome. I respond oftentimes on social media, Twitter. Um, and it's been great to really hear more about like the problems people are facing. Sometimes it's as simple as uh, maybe credit or, you know, like I want to save more, um, but right. it's always, you know, all the way up to uh, how can I deploy large amounts of capital and like a relatively passive because I want to retire in four years. Um, and it's been great to dig deep as opposed to a, a bit more surface level um, conversations. That's awesome. So it's almost like the, uh, I mean, the people you're connecting with, they, they give you fuel of more things to learn about and uh, write about. Definitely. Um, the, I, it's almost, it's funny because I type it every time, but it almost feels like I copy and paste it. The first thing I tell a lot of people when they write in is thank you because, um, what you writing in, you connecting with us is really what's keeping us going. It's really right. what helps, you know, those late nights. Um, why are you doing this for? Um, because people legitimately like give me energy. I don't think a ton of people n know like w about the wealth gap. I'd love if you could just uh, like share, like, what does that mean, the wealth gap, and um, how do you uh, help people think about it? Yeah. So when it does come to America, um, and when you do look at different barriers, uh, in particular racial barriers, so a wealth gap typically usually is, you're going to be talking about um, race differences within the U.S., but Almost no matter the study that you look at, there's many different ways to compute it, but you do see across different uh, ethnic groups, um, different median wealths, different earning powers, different savings rates. And, you know, the truth is, especially for African-Americans, uh, as a group in the U.S., we are underperforming the standard, the averages in many, many different um, instances, such as net worth. Um, there was a recent study on New York Times that said um, even affluent Children who grew up in affluent homes, African-American boys in particular, they're approximately half as likely to end up being upper middle class or wealthy wow. themselves compared to um, other, you know, the the higher performing groups or I'd say the, the, the majority groups. Uh, and it's there is it. I like to call it now a, a thousand year problem um, just because there are many different studies and thoughts about why and, you know, various things that have happened historically versus like current trends. Um, but the truth is at the base level, if you do, if you tease out things such as, you know, um, number of parents in the home, the areas you grew up in, whether you're rural or urban, you consistently do see a trend where there's less wealth being um, produced by African-American families compared to many of our peers. Wow. So you have, uh, you have your work cut out for you thousand years. Yeah. It's um, there are a lot of problems. I, I was joking with someone that's kind of like climate change um, <laughs> where right. as long as you know, the first step is there's always something hey, to work on. There's always something to work on, right? And you can always be 1% better. But part of it up front is saying, okay, this is a reality. Um, and either, you know, how how can I chip away at that problem? Uh, and the way I view, especially talking about generational wealth, it's something that if it completely erodes in my time, that would be amazing. But if I can do something where even two to three generations down, it's a little bit better, I would feel really good about myself. So you talked a little bit about uh, having a child, becoming a father. Uh, you also mentioned just taking time off to spend um, with your son. How how did becoming a father uh, shift your thinking just about work and uh, time and all that? Part of it was born 
birthed out of my own kind of childhood. Um, loved my father to death, um, but he loved working and he worked a lot. I still joke that the reason I'm a night person is because I spent so many times waiting for him to come home, uh, you know, from the office late and he ran his own business. And when I knew my son was coming, you know, I just kind of thought about how much I wanted to be around at what point, kind of what my role would be. Um, uh, I've seen his life and upbringing and it was one of the first times where I, I don't want to say nothing before had been important enough to completely rewrite my entire life, but it was definitely, a, um, an event that I knew was coming or that was coming where I was willing to really kind of look at the ground up and, um, really take a different assessment of both how I was working, um, where I was living, how I was living. Um, and then also even the goals I had set for myself obviously change when there's another person you need to take care of. Right. So when did you decide that maybe you should follow a different path, explore different uh, places to live? It was actually before I moved here. Um, when, when me and my wife moved here, um, we, we liked that we generally liked the area, but we kind of felt that we would move away eventually. Um, over time, that kind of went from going back to D.C. to maybe going to Texas to moving outside of the country. But we always kind of had an idea that our time here may not be permanent, that we may not be settling roots. And partially because of the cost of living, uh, we just always felt it was hard to justify st- settling here at some point when we know we could improve enjoy a significantly higher quality of life for the exact same cost um, in other cities that we really enjoy. So when did you decide that living overseas was something you were going to do? It's a, that's a good question. When it first came up um, for a long time, I know I've, I've, I think it, when I started to travel. So actually when we went to Sloan together um, before then I went to Europe uh, and me and my girlfriend, now wife backpacked across Europe. It was my first time traveling outside the continental um, uh outside of North America. And I really became infatuated by how different uh, world w- life was outside the U.S. I always thought that kind of Portugal would just be America where they spoke Portuguese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And Korea would just be kind of America where they spoke um, Korean. But that's kind of when the itch got started. And it's definitely grown over the um, it's grown over the years to now where we're actively in the process of moving outside the country. So when did you decide to quit your job and uh, start following a different path? Was that all when you were becoming a father as well? What triggered you to uh, make that leap and start carving a different path? Yeah, um, one consistent theme with a lot of my big decisions is that they brew for a while, and then there's usually a event to trigger it to actually happen. Um, I had been considering... Um, Again, even before Facebook, there was I was internally conflicted on whether I wanted to go to a company versus start my own company or or things along those lines. Um, And ever since I've been in the Bay Area, I had always been kind of brewing smaller ideas. I actually have several landing pages that are still up from previous ideas where I was trying to get an idea if they had traction or if it's something that I wanted to work on. Um, But when it did come to the actual moment of when it really felt right and everything felt aligned, it really... It was a few months into the pregnancy. Um, uh, you know, long story short, the the quick real moment was I was working on a launch about a month before um, my son was being born. So it was I was in a point where I really shouldn't have been getting on planes or flying much, um, but it you know I just had a lot to get done, and I it really turned um so at this point i had already bought like the domain of wealth noir but i had bought like several of the domains and as i really thought about making that change and all everything i had looked into wealth noir was one of the first times where i had an idea that i was really happy about what i could build and it did feel very personally connected to what was important to me and it felt like a company that i could work on um for, uh, forever regardless of whether i made money on it or not um I do plan to make money on it. Um, but I think that for me was part of the trigger. So everything kind of aligned where I had an idea I was really excited about. I was excited about the potential of that idea um, in terms of supporting both me and my family, the social good that I could actually do with it. And um, the, you know, 
bringing in my son really gave me the flexibility to kind of force myself to reevaluate everything and um, make some big decisions and big changes. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, a lot of people would in your shoes would say, okay, I'm about to have a son. The the least risky thing to do is stay at your job, especially a good job with good benefits. Uh, how were you thinking about risk and um, pursuing something like this at that time? Yeah, one nice thing about um, both having attended a school like Sloan, uh, but just my love of personal finances, the complexity of the model to project my run rate versus of multiple different scenarios was quite elaborate. Uh, I had... <laughs> You know, everyone gets laid off kind of scenarios versus like Damien works on, you know, on the company ahead. You know, if the company doesn't make any money for X number of years. And also, um, I tended to be very good with my contingencies. So even right. working with my wife to understand whether she wanted to work or not work, whether moving to a cheaper place was available, whether that be um, uh, you know, domestically or internationally. Uh, so. I felt really, really good that I had a lot of, I had runway, I had a lot of contingencies, and I'll be honest, having gone through the layoff the first time and going through the process of getting a job, it did help me feel confident about how long it would take me to what a new job would look like if I needed to come back um, into the workforce for some right. odd reason. So there's always that step of, uh, I think a lot of people don't take this step of saying, okay, what's my worst case scenario? Maybe I get laid off, but then recovering from that and actually getting another job, often it's not as bad as people think. Yeah. Um, I've really started getting to stoism uh, a good bit. Um, and you know, some classic stoic principles are simulate or really it's kind of like negative thinking. You're actually supposed to really focus and visualize the worst thing ever happening. Right. And then you realize it's not as anywhere near as bad as you think right. it's going to be. Exactly. Yeah, the fear we have is way worse. Any writings or uh, things that stand out specifically on stoicism? Yeah, um, although I haven't finished the letters of... Um, uh, I don't Seneca? know why I can't remember. Yes. I started them. I've gone through a couple of them. There is the antidote that, and it isn't specifically on stoicism, but it is around, um, it's kind of a new view of happiness. So the author does, he pulls from stoicism, uh, meditation, uh, meditative practices, but he really talks about happiness in a very different context that it's not necessarily a state that you seek and find, but oftentimes if you can accept really remove fear um, by approaching the worst case scenario, being upfront about it, um, and really accept kind of some of things will happen, but you will survive, you will be alive. Uh, that happiness is more of a state of, I don't want to say contention, um, I'm probably butchering the paraphrasing, but uh, it's more about if you are happy with what you're doing in your life and the process that's going and you accept that your fears are typically over magnifications of what actually could happen and happiness is not so much of trying to make yourself happy, but it's more of trying to make yourself um, kind of at ease or not unhappy. Uh, but that book in particular, um, it was one I read a little, I think it was, during like month one or two of with the baby. Um, yeah, great book. We'll link up to that for sure. And how, how are you thinking just personal finance standpoint from, did you go from a mindset of saying, okay, here's the money I have from a salary and then like how can I spend it to, okay, what does a good life actually cost? Yeah. Um, so do you have a model for this too? <laughs> I do kind of. Uh, there's, this one has been a definite balance, right? There's So one is kind of a question of, well, how much money does one need per month or year in order to live? Um, and then it's kind of like, you know, there's a bit of a break even, right? I can, if it's $50,000 a year, let's say, um, it could, you know, that might for me at my current salary net out at 40. But if I actually say, well, 75,000 sounds much better, it might net out at 45. And it tends to be a bit of a sliding scale where, yeah, right. uh, yeah you know, I can earn more now to get to that number. And depending on the lifestyle that I want to live, um, I'm not sure if you, 
know about like FIRE or financial independence retire early. And there's uh, a bit of a division in the camp where you have lean fire and then fat fire. So lean fire being... <laughs> Tell us. Yes. So lean fire, you cut your cost deeply, right? You can, And there are people who've huh. gotten their monthly budgets maybe down to $20,000 a year. So... Wow. At 20, I like yeah, it. At 20, yeah, I mean... It's great. You can, you have the full freedom that that you want, but you know you do need to make cuts, right? There's certain uh, things you won't be able to do. You do need to live in certain places for that. And then you have fat fire, which is I'm going to continue to live a very nice lifestyle, and I understand this will require significantly more money. So I will focus um, a lot more on earning that money, um, uh, investing more actively, and aggressively growing my wealth as opposed to just cut um, cost cutting. And so I've adopted much more of the fat fire lifestyle. So I've really been kind of, all right, where will my family be? Uh, what point will we be happy? What will college education cost? What's the return I'm expecting on my investments, um, my diversification? And I'm using that to really run the analysis and figure out um, at what point do I want to stop working altogether versus work part time? Um, if I have a, if I don't have to pay for housing because of what I've been doing in real estate, um, what does that look like versus we have a big house that we're still paying a mortgage on? Um, so yeah, it's, I'll admit, I, I tend to overthink and probably overcomplicate many things, but, uh, <laughs> I'm really, yeah, I'm really about reducing risk, uh, when I can. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fascinating. I probably practice the lean fire right now. And uh, maybe it's the lean, t you have to go lean to go fat. Um, because it's so easy to just spend so much, especially if you're in a salaried role. I just found that uh, when I took the leap to freelancing, I just started cutting out all these things. And I mean, there was no decrease in happiness. I was still living the life I wanted. It was just kind of less pressure and more freedom. Yeah, one thing I will say is that um, I had practiced a lot of the budgeting and kind of spending um well before so partially again you know having lost uh lost my job but we had set up a budget actually after i got out of school i was really focused on paying off debt so i've never had debt in my life um until grad school where i had to take out student loans and i had a bit of credit cards so we talked with a financial planner we actually had learned uh used LearnVest, a service that um was a big fan of and we set a budget now, after I changed jobs, I was making significantly more. Um, my wife actually had changed jobs also and had been promoted. So as a family, we were making up to two times, a little more than actually good. Yeah, a bit more than two X what we were, but we were still living on the exact same budget. And going back to your point of living lean um, in order to get to fat, that was uh, one of the key things uh, for us. We invested that money i would get um bonuses i would get stocks and uh i had a I actually had a really strict plan where only five percent of any non-salaried money could be spent on fun things so if i oh, got wow. uh, yeah if i got a vest date if i got a bonus i could take up to and it was up to five percent i oftentimes would take just three or four percent depending on what i wanted to do um, wow. to be spent on myself and everything else went directly to be invested Awesome. So you're moving to Spain in three months. Walk me through where your head is at now and how you're thinking about making that move. Yeah. Um, so one pa one facet of it is just operationally and uh, focus on execution. We need to get a bunch of things in order to get our visa. We're working with someone to relocation uh, relocation specialist to help us find an apartment. I need to ship things, uh, things like that. But really... Yeah, you know, that's annoying, but much do very doable. Um, when it does come to kind of the mental space, uh, I oscillate between "Oh my God, I'm moving my entire family to Spain" to "Oh my God, I'm so excited to move to Spain." Um, and it really has been trying to think a little bit about what I want my lifestyle, what I want my company to look like when I go over there. Uh, Wealth Noir, I've built from the start and the plan has always been for the company to be 100% remote um, and even that has been led me to exercises in talking with other companies that are run fully remote there's a 
shocking, not shocking number, but a good number of startups and other large um, companies that are run fully remotely um, and globally. Uh, in addition, it has been just preparing for the the change in lifestyle that is Spain, um, both in terms of the language, the food, things along those lines, understanding what I won't have that I used to have. But at the at the end of the day, a lot of it is has been really um, just ensuring that for everybody, it's as comfortable a move as possible. And when we get there, we can maximize our new lifestyle. Yeah, you got to uh, factor in the nap now, right? The siesta? Yes. Yes. And also the big thing, that we've been concerned about is they eat dinner much later. So dinner typically is eaten 8.30, 9 o'clock. Um, our son's bedtime is 8.30, so we're trying to figure out how that's going to work. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I. that's like uh, when I moved to New York, I was like, why won't anyone eat dinner with me at uh, 6 o'clock? And um, similarly visited Spain last year, and I was wandering around at 7, and nothing was open. I was like, where do I nothing. eat? <laughs> yeah. What are some of the things you've learned from those other companies about running a company remote? I think this is just becoming such uh, a bigger trend of companies. Just to speak quickly on some of the benefits, one is obviously you you get to um, you get to pick from the best talent in the world. So it's, right. you're no longer yeah you know it's not a matter of convincing you to move to Oakland or or San Francisco or the Bay Area or working with only people here. Um, if the best designer for my needs is in right. Bulgaria. Yeah, they can they can definitely join the company. Well, it's so crazy seeing job postings now and it's like yeah. one location listed and it's almost insane like seeing that and knowing it's a knowledge position. It's like what what are they doing? Why are we not tapping into this global talent pool? And this is one thing with um it's it's almost like the human experience a bit, but we don't like change. This right. is one thing I've yeah, just truly come to accept and understand. Um, <laughs> if it was an efficient market, people would be looking globally. But we're uh, we're our own worst enemy of just doing what we did yesterday. Right. It's it's the biggest barrier isn't how do I hire remotely or how do I integrate someone to the team. It's almost how can I convince myself to believe that a remote worker will be as good or better than um, right having someone in the office. And going back to your original question in terms of some things that I've heard from these other companies, uh, one big thing I've heard is everyone does need to meet each every meet in person once a year. So yeah. well, almost every company does have at least once or two twice a year a retreat where the entire company comes together. Um, great communication tools. So video chat is common theme I've seen across all of them, um, whether Slack or uh, our personal stack is Slack and Asana, um, but a meaningful way for people to be in touch with each other at, at the exact same, um, be in touch with each other remotely so that you can feel connected um, even though you're not physically there. And some of the challenges too, um, which I've heard some interesting things about too, is really imbuing culture. So culture oftentimes does happen at the co you know when people catch coffee or um, how people interact with each other. Uh, one solution I've heard one company does is they actually keep a 24-hour running kind of group video chat. So it's not so much that oh, you're fascinating. Yeah, and they have a small grid. So everyone has when you're signed on and you're working, everyone's on video chat. So if you do need to hop in and kind of have a quick conversation with someone. It's direct. It's there. It's um, you're seeing and talking to the person versus um, even as much as I love Slack and other asynchronous channels, I definitely run into issues of um, we could resolve this in 10 minutes over voice. <laughs> right. Yeah. Versus uh, let me type up everything that I was going to say. Um, and even when you do have written something written in front of you, you can really hone in and sometimes unfairly pick apart things, uh, whereas sometimes when someone's communicating to you, it does force you to analyze, paraphrase, and kind of draw out big points as they're talking. Um, and so I sometimes won't get hung up on a misuse of a certain word or things along those lines um, when I hear or can talk or see people compared to written communications. But it's very interesting, and it's one thing I'm extremely excited about, um, both moving to Spain, uh, exploring this, what I think is going to really be 
become a much more common trend um, that you'll see in uh, companies using knowledge workers. Yeah, well, I'll definitely have to check in with you in uh, six months or a year and uh, see what you've learned. I'm sure I'm sure it'll be an awesome learning experience. Definitely. So how are you thinking about just spending your time on a day-to-day basis? I think uh, doing work on your own, you you often don't have those set deadlines or deliverables, and it's often you're relying on your personal motivation and energy. So how do you think about just how you spend your time on a random day? Uh, this this is such a um, like a million dollar question for me right now, just because I've <laughs> I've really been iterating and trying to get better um, at it. So I joke with people I have three jobs. So one is um, Wealth Noir, the company, growing the company there. I actually do consult with a nonprofit here in the Bay, Bay Area called Dev Color, where right now I'm the head of product there, um, and I work there part time. And then the third one is new dad like uh you know if you're i i joke that if you're not yeah if you don't consider it a job you're probably not working hard enough but between like yeah sleep interruption and and things like that so when it does come to my day-to-day it's i'm trying to get better at time boxing in particular um so I'm, i'm getting more in the habit of starting off the day with a list of priorities and my priorities fall across these three buckets of both like personal and along with my son includes my personal real estate investing and what I've been doing there, then, you know, um, things that I need to do with the nonprofit I, I work at, um, along with things for Wealth Noir. And it has been definitely, um, it's been interesting. So one thing I do love about with my client currently is it has helped add some stability to my week. There is a bit of going into an office, coming out of an office, a little bit more interaction uh, with individuals. With Wealth Noir, we do have a team. There are multiple people. So it has been a setting goals for us holistically and then ensuring that we drive um, towards them. But, uh, yeah, I wish I could tell you that I had an average day. So how are you defining success? Uh, just reflecting on, on yourself and how you're spending your time. Yeah, um, I've been iterating on that one a few times, but at the core <laughs> I want to see it, all your models. It sounds like you have uh, well thought out things for all these. Yeah, with this one, I don't have a model of like what success <laughs> looks like. Uh, did I put that down somewhere? I may have a pro former lying around. Um, <laughs> But no, success for me, and I've really been thinking about it, uh, has been I do want to have a socially mission-driven company uh, that does help benefit the life of African-Americans. And, you know, the African-American part is just, you know, I I do feel strongly connected to my culture and my people. Um, It is an area where, you know, I, I naturally can connect with people there on certain, you know, shared experiences. Although, you know, I love everybody and, um, you know, even the information we always put out is definitely for everybody. Anyone can benefit. Same thing with our dating site. Um, but we do just try and create a positive, um, experience that, um, other African Americans can see and relate to, which isn't always there present, especially in like financial services, uh, in particular. Um, the company part. So there's three parts of it. The African American part, the social mission, and then the creating a company. Um, the company part for me is really around creating an entity that I think um, is a little bit bigger than myself. Uh, I do want to, even when it does come to the people who I do hire and bring on, I actually want, it's really important that we are a company that you feel good working for. Like I actually, I'm already looking into benefits. I love um, it. And yeah, you know, people have had issues and like family issues and I want the company to be in a way where you can feel really, really good. Um, you can feel very supported and I'm willing to sacrifice, you know, profits and gains in order to, um, have a great experience. And a book that really helped me think a lot through this is called small giants. Um, which I can't recommend enough to anyone who is thinking about building a company and, um, wants the company to actually reflect a little bit more of their values or certain values as opposed to, you know, just kind of being becoming the biggest, largest, um, uh, highest growth in revenue. Um, and the social mission part, which honestly, if you had asked me five to 10 years ago, I would never have thought I would, I would be saying that not to say that I didn't care about this um, or that, you know, I've always been very self-centered, but uh, I did not think, 
the social mission would be as important to me um, as it was. And what I found over time is that um, uh, one thing in particular, which I do love with my new job and uh, my new time schedule is I help way more people than I used to. So outside of Wealth Noir, I've actually volunteer at the Kapoor Center for Social Impact, um, giving free office hours to startups around product market, product management, product market fit, and marketing. Um, I've done so many different mock and uh, interview uh, help prep for people trying to become product managers or trying to break into the um, Silicon Valley, the Bay that. Area. Yeah, and I love, I didn't realize how much I loved giving back to other people. And even when I think back to it, I, I remember mentoring, um, he was a, a sixth grader for an entire year, uh, years ago in the DC area. I used to go to high schools on the weekends. Um, so when I do think back, it's not shocking. I guess all the key yeah. pieces were there, but, uh, yeah, I really, really do love when, I can help drive value in someone else. And so I even have said too for everybody um, at Wealth Noir is that if we become successful, but we don't deliver value to anyone who comes to us, it's a failure state. I don't care if we all become, you know, like either independently wealthy or the company becomes humongous. If at the end of the day, we feel that our customers, our clients, um, our audience, isn't benefiting from our existence. We're the only ones benefiting from it. It's a failure state. So right. when I, yeah, success has broken down over time of merged into those three key components. I love that. And I almost think that's the only choice for a company that wants to be taken seriously in today's world. We have so many companies who are not actually rooted in tr- trust or social purpose. And what we're seeing is that there's no transparent, there's complete transparency actually. Now you can see within companies and see that companies really don't care. I mean, you see companies like Wells Fargo. Um, yeah. I, I just don't think they're ever going to recover. I'd never going to trust a company like that. Right. And it's interesting even that you mentioned them. I recently was looking to change our business checking. And yeah, you know, I was looking at their offering, but I just don't like, do I it. Almost felt, They'll open yeah, was, five accounts for you. <laughs> right? Yeah, I was almost bad. Just I almost felt bad going to the page. And you know, they're yeah. a, you know an efficiently run institution. They offer the services, but um, I think that's been a huge shift that did not was not as big, in my opinion. You know, years ago, where people do care about um, the social mission of your company, or you know, your your corporate and social responsibility. Are you trying to be a good steward to your customers and you know, people in general versus we're trying to get as much money, you know, take as much out of the system um, for our own personal financial gains. And that's even um, one trend that led me to start Wealth Noir versus either other ideas I had been thinking about. I think now is a time where uh, people are resonating and are demanding and looking for that level of trust uh, from the companies that they do um, shop and uh, work with. What are some of your influences, either books or I've been asking people podcasts they've been listening to that have uh, helped shape your thinking on all this, in, in addition to Small Giants, of course, which I'll link up. So the four hour work week was definitely one of the books. I, I only read it recently. Yeah, I, I actually read this recently too. I, <laughs> so many people had recommended it to me that I just read it. So it definitely resonates as well. Well, I didn't know, I thought it was really more about just hacking pro- productivity and, you know, focusing a little bit more. But, you know, as he started talking about living abroad and many retirements and kind of his views on work and even his own personal story of starting kind of a successful company and all of the personal turmoil that um, caused him, uh, I really did love the book and became a um, big Tim Ferriss fan afterwards. Uh, he was actually the one who introduced me to stoic uh, principles and uh, um, stoicism. Uh podcast element i'm not the heaviest of podcast uh listener but uh partially because i've been really getting into audiobooks uh as of late um one podcast outside of your lovely podcast of course (laughs) thank you (laughs) yeah is uh afford anything uh by paula pant so paula pant is uh within the financial kind of personal finance space and i do love her podcast because her tagline is you can afford anything but not everything and 
this, you know, that kind of level of just prioritization, both in personal finances, but other other aspects um, is super important. And also, she really likes real estate investing. Um, she talks a lot about just general like retirement, good things. And I find her to be very approachable, too. Um, so I've just been a big fan of her. Um, and, you know, if she hears this, love to meet you. <laughs> but awesome. we'll tag her. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, I mentioned small giants in terms of books that have been motivation. Uh, bigger pockets. So bigger pockets. I, I don't want to call them just a podcast. So they're a bit of an empire at this point, but um, they produce a lot of, to me, they're one of the best sources when it does come to real estate and real estate investing. And another nice thing I love about them is they do layer on the concept of um, lifestyle and living the type of lifestyle and being able to retire early uh, and use real estate as a means. Um, even the way their company is structured and set up, I've really enjoyed. I, I think they, have set themselves up in a way where they can give away an, am an amazing amount of content for free. Um, just in, in, insane. Uh, they produce their own books too. And I found them to be like very good and well-researched. Um, they are doing events, but I love them because when they're real estate, they add on not just real estate for the sake of investing, but it is as one strategy or means to reach that financial independence and kind of live a different lifestyle that you want. Um, and that their business model really, I'd say comparative to even others. Um, the, it took me a while to even figure out how they made money. I, I just was like <laughs> absorbing so much. And then I was like, yeah, I, I guess he's retired and personally wealthy, but no, they actually have a very sustainable um, business. But, and, and I also think they've really established themselves as one of the better and bigger names in the real estate investing um, side. There's, when I do talk to others, there's a few, there's a few names that even come uh, as close personally. Um, and then the last one I'll mention is a blog called Financial Samurai. Uh, the writer, his name is Sam. Um, Similar-ish story, actually. He's out here in the Bay Area. He was working in finance, um, really just focused on like saving, investing. He made a lot of his, uh, built a lot of his net worth through real estate. Decided to quit. Um, has written posts about like adjusting to a life of early retirement and things like that. But when you read his articles and they're quite long, he is so thorough. Um, I joke about my models. Um, I aspire to start writing more, um, more in depth and bring some of my modeling and the analysis, uh, to my articles. But, uh, he's a, he's a, um, blogger and blog that I, uh, big fan of. Fantastic. What ask do you have for people and where can people find more about you? So you can find out more about me personally at DamianPeters.com. Uh, Wealth Noir is Wealth Noir, N-O-I-R.com uh, to find out more about um, the company and kind of what we're being up to. The only ask for people, um, I'm just not a big person who asks a lot, to be honest, but my only ask is uh, think about your money or and i'm not saying my my ask isn't to tell everybody hey make sure that building wealth is like a key part of you know your next five-year plan or that you know improving your finances is something that you spend eight hours a day on it is actually to think about your finances your money your goals as it pertains um to your life is it an area of stress? Is it an area of unimportance because everything is good and it doesn't matter? Um, or is it an area of like interest that you would love to pour into? And because some people, many people haven't even thought about whether they care or not. So if you look at it and you decide that you, know, you really don't care, um, the amount of effort and there's just some basic stuff, that makes sense. At least you thought about it. Um, versus you kind of wake up and realize that I should have at least determined how much I cared about uh, my money, my spending, and what my finances would look like. So my only ask to um, to everybody hearing this is just take some time to think about your money, your finances, and how it's and the relationship it is ha having with the rest of your life. Um, and just make a call. Like think about if you want to do more, if you want to do less and um, take action because the problem that we're seeing a lot is that 
the lack of action, the fact that no one wants to talk about it is just leading to people to ignore it and now turns into a problem when if you had just taken an extra 15 minutes 10 years ago, um, it just wouldn't have been a problem and you would not have spent any more time thinking about it than you do now. And if they don't want to think about it, wealthnoir.com. Wealthnoir.com. And if they really do want to think about it, especially wealthnoir.com. Awesome. Um, we, yeah, our content, we do try and focus on a lot. I'd say more intermediate to advanced strategies. So we really are, how can you accelerate and build outsized wealth? I love it. Well, thanks for talking today, Damien. It's been a pleasure and uh, looking forward to following your journey to Spain. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me, Paul. Thank you for listening to the podcast. This has been an incredibly fun experiment for me, and I'm loving talking to such incredible guests. I've received some awesome feedback and I appreciate all the suggestions and just the praise. I'm kind of blown away. Uh, It's just so amazing to have such positive support. I hate asking for further support, but would love if you could share or recommend the podcast to one friend. If you are inclined to support more, I've actually set up a Patreon page, which I am experimenting with and potentially going to release some exclusive content and with the goal of building a community of people who are passionate of making sense of the future of work and enabling people to do work that matters to them. To learn more, you can check that out at bondlesspod.com. Again, thanks for the support. And if you have ideas, questions you want me to answer on a future Q&A podcast or just suggestions, would love to hear them all. Please email me at paul at think-boundless.com. Thanks for listening to the episode. I really appreciate the support and especially always love when people reach out letting me know what they think about the specific episodes. If you want to go deeper into Pathless Path World, you can, of course, check out my book. It's sold. It's going to hit 50000 soon. I think by the time you're hearing this, it will probably have already sold 50000 which is mind-blowing. But I continue all the support of people that buy and share the book. If you want to meet others on Pathless Paths, I have a community, which you can find at pathlesspath.com membership, and you can join and meet hundreds of others around the world trying to make sense of weird paths and meeting others along the way. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good day.